Well, good morning. My name is Mark Scop, and I lead our college and young adult ministry here at Calvary Church. And this morning, um, I wanted to share with you out of a passage. We've been in this series called Fight uh, for Joy in Philippians. And this morning, I have a couple questions for you as we get kicked off. Um, and really, it's just about your background. And I want you to think about it for a second, uh, what your background is and, and all that. And so just answer in your head uh, a few of these questions, if you would. Where did you grow up? Where did you grow up? Right? It could have been here in GR. It could have been uh, on the other side of the world. But where did you grow up and kind of what did that mean for you? I grew up in a few different places. I remember as I was growing up and as I was maybe before I was 18, I had moved, uh, I think, four different times. And so I feel like I grew up in different places. I have different experiences. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? Was it a Christian school? Was it a public school? Was it homeschool? Uh, what, what did that mean for you? Uh, my high school, our mascot was Luton. Just a weird dude. That's it. Like, it was just a town next door. That was, We actually, our school was in Sergeant Bluff, and our mascot was Luton, the town next door. I don't know. I don't know about you. Where did you go to school? Right? Maybe you had a better mascot than we did. What was your growing up? Did you grow up in the church? Did you grow up uh, at Calvary Church? Did you grow up outside of the church? Maybe you never went to church growing up. As a kid, maybe church wasn't even a thing that you did. Sunday was for boating, I don't know. Like maybe you grew up in the church, maybe you grew up here, maybe not. Were you raised in a Christian home? Were you taught at a young age about who Jesus was or were you raised in a home that Jesus was never talked about? And Jesus never came up in any kind of family conversation. And the reason I, I ask you all these questions and I want you reminiscing about your past and your upbringing is because that's where our text is gonna lead us this morning. And we, in Philippians chapter three, we get this out of the text. And, and the reason I wanna share and kind of think through this is as we think through our upbringing, it's interesting being a kind of somebody who's been around the church for a while and a pastor in the church. I actually hear a lot of people's testimonies as you kind of share and, and a lot of people's testimonies are founded around where they grew up, where they went to school, who their parents were. And these things come out all the time in people's stories about how they came to know Jesus. But this passage today, it's kind of interesting because Paul takes all of those things of how he grew up and his training and his schooling and he puts it all to the side. And he actually says, those are the least important things about my story. These are not the things that we should be focusing on. Christ is where the focus needs to land. And so would you read with me Philippians chapter three? If you have a Bible uh, in the pew in front of you, it's on page 952. And we're gonna be in Philippians chapter three, verses one through 11. And in Philippians chapter three, we get this really cool picture of Paul. And to set it up a little bit, uh, there's these people going around, they're named the Judaizers. And these Judaizers were people who actually had come to faith in Jesus, but... They were of the Jewish background, and so they were going on and basically saying, yeah, you can come to faith in Jesus if you also go and get circumcised and if you follow the rules of the Jewish faith. And Paul wants to kind of just squash that real quick. 
And so that's where we find him in this text, Philippians chapter three, one through 11. He says this, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. He's talking about the Judaizers. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. So Paul wants to make it very clear right away. No, 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 no. These people are trying to add something to your salvation. They're trying to make a hoop that you have to jump through in order to be truly saved. And he says, these people are dogs and evildoers. He doesn't take this lightly, right? He's not like, well, yeah, it's okay to kind of do this or that. Like, I mean, it's not that big of a deal. Like he does not downplay this. He elevates it. And we find him in verse four, elevating it even further. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I mean, that's a pretty bold statement, right? Just putting himself out there like, hey, anybody wants to compare resumes of how to be a good Jewish kid? Let's go. Like, I, I will take you on. I bet my background is better than your background, right? Verse five circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew in regards to the law, a Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But where, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Uh, Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Hold up. I consider them garbage. Can you, can you say that with me? Garbage. Now, just for a minute, I know we've grown up in a place where church and Christian school and being raised in a Christian home is a very important thing. But what Paul is saying here is he's saying my background does not save me. It's as good as garbage. Christ is what saves me. Christ is what he's trying to highlight here. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul makes it really clear here that your background, your pedigree does not matter. Obviously, all of our backgrounds are important to us and they shape who we are and they have integral parts in who we are as human beings. But if we are relying on them for our salvation, then we need to pay attention real closely. We need to pay attention real close. The main idea I want to draw out today is this. Knowing Jesus is more than knowing about Jesus. Knowing Jesus is more than knowing about Jesus. 
And it's not more because we've studied more. It's more because it's the only thing that matters. Knowing Jesus is more than knowing just about Jesus. Because here's the reality. I can know about Islam. I can know about Buddha. I can know about Hinduism. I can know about scientific evolution. I can know about Greek mythology. I can know about all these things, the ins and the outs. I can study them. I can have a knowledge of them. But if I'm not putting my faith and trust in them, then it's just knowledge. I can add Jesus to that list. I can add Christianity to that list. If I just know about Christianity, if I just know about Jesus, and I haven't put my faith and trust in Jesus, then all I have is a knowledge about Jesus. The reality is, Paul is trying to get this point across here. He wants people to stop playing the religion game. And he's seeing these Judaizers going around and playing this religious game hey, you've got to jump through this hoop, this hoop, this hoop, and this hoop, and then you'll be okay. And he's like, you're a dog and an evildoer and you're a mutilator of the flesh if you think that is what it takes to be in salvation with Christ. This is not salvation with Christ. And he says, look, I've got the pedigree. I've got the background. Believe me, if there's anybody out there who says they've got it, I've got it. But I've learned that this is not what salvation is about. And so I want to take a second to walk through this text and look at this because I think salvation is not by these things. And sometimes I think we put hope in some of these things, even maybe unknowingly, because we might not put it in certain categories or we might not think about it in certain ways, but I think we unknowingly put salvation in these things. Salvation is not by ritual. If you look at chapter three, verse five, in that first little section, verse, just part A, It's not by ritual, circumcised on the eighth day. Paul grew up in a good Jewish home. It was the law that you would go on the eighth day and you would have your male children circumcised so that even sexually they would be set apart from the rest of the world. And they would be different from the rest of the world, that they would look different, be a a people set apart for God. And this is things that God ordained, but people started to make this into just a religious act. And so Paul says, hey, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Listen, but salvation is not by ritual. Salvation is not by race. Of the people of Israel, I'm part of God's chosen people. I'm part of the blessed people, right? I'm part of God's chosen people, so I must be saved just because I'm part of Israel. And God has made promises to Israel, so like I must just be there. Just because I was born into this family, I must be there. But salvation is not by race. Salvation is not by rank. Of the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin was where the temple rested. The tribe of Benjamin had this kind of, this ability to say, we're, we're, you know, we were the favorites. Benjamin was one of the favorites of the father. And so we've been looked upon as favorite. We've even been faithful when some of the other tribes walked away and they, they continued to follow in the line of Judah. So the tribe of Benjamin stood fast. Salvation is not by rank. Salvation is not by tradition. A Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning my mother was a Hebrew, my father was a Hebrew. There was no tainting of our family line. And so I have this tradition that's been passed on from season to season to season, generation to generation, that I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. My bloodline is pure as an Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin. We can look back on our genealogy salvation is not by tradition. Salvation is not by religion. 
in regards to the law, a Pharisee. Paul studied under one of the great teachers. His name was Gamaliel. He was a doctor of the law. He knew everything in and out of the law and Paul studied under him as one of his, one of his top students. And so when it comes to the law, like it comes to just this understanding of religion, I know exactly what needs to be done. But salvation is not by religion. And this one is tricky. Salvation is not by sincerity. Paul says, as for zeal, persecuting the church. I mean, Paul was excited about his religion. He was excited about what he believed and he was passionate about it. But it's not just about being sincere and excited about something. Salvation is not by legalistic righteousness. Because at the end of the day, Paul says, for as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. I did everything I needed to do. And when I made mistakes, I was in the temple making sacrifices, making amends for my sin, doing everything that I needed to do to get right with God. Paul's trying to give us the clearest picture possible of someone who is trying to earn their salvation. He's trying to show us, and here's the reality, let's be real. I think most of us, we, I mean, the idea of grace-based salvation is, is phenomenal and it's only a God thing, but I think a lot of us would like to earn our salvation sometimes. I don't know about you, but Saturday is often cleaning day for our family. And so on Saturday, we usually make this big checklist and we did yesterday. And part of my checklist was to clean the garage. It was awful. I had, I had left my garage all winter. I, had, I mean, some people have probably seen my garage. It's terrible. I, like you couldn't even put anything in there. And I cleaned everything. We parked a car in there last night. It was amazing. <laughs> Just because we could, right? And so one of the things that I like doing when I've made that list is going inside and check mark, done. We all kind of like that feeling because there's like a sense of accomplishment. Like I'm a big boy, right? And we check it off. And, and I think sometimes we wish salvation was somewhat like that. If I could just have this easy transition exchange of like, I did something, so now I get this. Like if I could just get the paycheck, right? Like if I could just make it happen like that and then just check off the box, now I don't have to worry about anything. But the reality is, Paul says, look at all these things that I've checked off. I consider them garbage when it comes to actually knowing Jesus. These things that I've checked off that I thought were the answer and the way to God, I, I thought this is exactly what I needed to do. But salvation is not earned. Salvation is given. Because at the end of the day, what would I rather do? Go out and clean my garage and make sure it's all, you know, just make it immaculate and make it look great and have to go through all that work and spit all that sweat and, and then come in and check a box? Or would I rather just go out and find that my garage has already been cleaned for me and I didn't have to do anything? Because that's the reality. I don't have to earn my salvation in Jesus. He's already paid it for me. I'm simply putting my trust forward that I can trust and believe that he's done the work for me. Salvation is not earned, but rather it's given. Jesus describes it as an exchange, but not the kind of exchange we're thinking. 
The kind of exchange that says all that the sinner is for all that Christ is. All that I am for all that Christ is. This is an exchange here. The problem that we have with this often is that I want to keep one foot in and one foot out. Well, but I kind of like this part about my life, God. Can I just keep this? Uh, this, is, this is kind of a strong addiction. I don't know if this one's going to come. And Jesus is like, I want all of you for all of me. That's the exchange. Trust me, believe in me. When Paul says in this passage that he left all of his belongings, left all of his past, do you don't think this pedigree left him with nothing? How do you think that Paul goes back to the synagogue and says, hey guys, I found Jesus along the way. So I know I was persecuting Christians, but now I'm a Christian. Hey, you guys want to be Christians? No, everything that he once knew is gone now. His family, the Hebrew of Hebrews, the tribe of Benjamin, these proud people. Do you think they're like, oh, Paul, come on back in for the family reunion? Or are they like, no, you're excommunicated from the family. You're ashamed to us. You, you need to leave. You can't be in our house anymore. This is devastating. You, you were so promising. You had it all and you left it for Jesus. Paul understands what it means to give everything. Jesus described this exchange as all of us for all of him. Salvation is about knowing Jesus, not just knowing about him. So number two is this, salvation is knowing Jesus. If we look at Paul's story, before he was named Paul, his name was Saul. And so if we look at this story in Acts chapter nine, verses one through nine, it reads like this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest because he was a zealous young man, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, Christianity, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashes around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You have to imagine in this moment, Saul's mind is just racing. I'm on my face, I'm blinded, I can't see, I like this lightest, and I'm hearing this booming voice talking about persecuting. Wait, I thought I was doing what I needed to do. I was going to Damascus to do what I believe was right and what the church was saying was right at the time. And what, what do I do in this moment? Like who, what, what's happening? And he cries out, who are you, Lord? Right out of confusion, just like, who are you? And I love how the text clarifies so specifically. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I love the specificity of Jesus not just, I am God who you are, like, I am Jesus. The one that you're not putting your faith in, the one that you're persecuting, the one that you're trying to deter people from. I am Jesus, that one. So that Paul knows exactly where he's gone wrong and exactly what he has done. Saul, why do you persecute me? 
And then he says, now get up and go to the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. I like that detail as well, because I think when you have an encounter with God like that, and he says, go and wait in Damascus, you don't do anything until God does what he's gonna do. I don't eat, I don't drink, I'm just sitting here and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna sit on my bed quietly and wait. I've, I've had enough of trying to do stuff and try to earn stuff. I've had enough of trying to do this on my own. I'm just gonna sit and I'm gonna wait till you tell me what to do, God. After all that we hear from Paul about how he knew about God, it took a radical encounter with God to understand that Jesus was the one he really needed to know. So he goes through this list and he says, yeah, I knew it all. I had it all. I did not know Jesus. I had the pedigree. I had it all lined up, but I did not know Jesus. All of this is coming on the heels of those first few verses where the Philippians are being confused by these people who are saying, hey, you need to jump through some more hoops in order to be a real Christian. And Paul's just like, no, 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 no. You don't have to jump through any hoops. You have to trust in Jesus Christ alone. What I really, really needed was Jesus. Not another hoop to jump through. So I know that it's easy to look at Paul in this position and say, man, wow, he was you know, this way and then he was that way and he had this radical encounter with God. But I wanna ask the question because I feel like we have to take this home at some point and I can't help but wonder, does your religion keep you from knowing Jesus? Does your religion keep you from knowing Jesus? Does your concern about a Sunday morning and where you're gonna sit keep you from knowing Jesus? Does it matter how good you look this week as you walk into this building? Does that keep you from really experiencing and knowing Jesus? How much you tithe or what your position is here? Does that keep you from knowing the depths of who God is? Because Paul is saying it kept him from knowing Jesus. These things kept me in a place where I thought I had it together and everybody around me told me I was good but I did not know Jesus. Because I believe that Paul is trying to encourage the Philippians and us to something more. He's encouraging us to understand how to get rid of the garbage. Just how to get rid of the garbage and start trusting that Jesus is what we really need more of. How to get past the fact that, that there's times when we walk into this building or there's times we run into people and we're just annoyed and it's just like, oh, this is such an inconvenience. Like I would just rather have my cookie cutter thing the way I want it. And just to realize that God is always working and moving and how do I attain Jesus? That Jesus is where we find our freedom from the burden of sin. That Jesus is where we stop counting ourselves as better because our upbringing is more refined. That Jesus is where we stop vying for power and position because the last will be first and the first will be last. That Jesus is where we stop seeking tradition so that we can start seeking the renewal of our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We have to be more concerned with knowing Jesus than just 
knowing about him. Number three is this, all of me for all of him. All of me for all of him. Paul closes this passage with a reminder that this is an act of submission. This is an act of submission. Paul had to leave everything that he knew, everything that he loved, everything that was dear to him. He left that behind because he saw the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. This is an act of submission that we cannot do it on our own. This is admitting that you cannot do it alone. It's not lost on me. It's not lost on me that I know a lot of men, kind of the joke is that we don't like to use instructions. You know what? There's been a really humbling experience in my life. It's called the store Ikea. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but Ikea makes cheap furniture. And so we shop there a lot. Um, My wife is not allowed to go there alone. Um, And so we have a lot of Ikea furniture in our house. And if you don't know Ikea furniture, they're in a big, massive warehouse and you walk through and all this furniture is displayed beautifully and you take down a number and then you go into the warehouse and it's just a bunch of boxes. And then you pick those boxes and you have to take it home and you have to construct it yourself. Here's the deal though. These boxes are packed so nice and neatly and you open them up and there's pieces and parts everywhere. And you get like a bag of like 7,000 bolts and 50 planks of wood and it's supposed to be a bookshelf. If you don't read the instructions, all you have is kindling wood. Like that is it. You, you could just go start a bonfire because it's not gonna come together right. We have bought a couch from Ikea and I thought, uh, a couch, I mean, how much can they really take it down? A lot. Like, I didn't realize that I knew how to assemble a couch, right? Like, you, it was like, put the cushions on and put the feet on and put the walls of the seats together, like everything together. I'll be honest, there were some times that as I was assembling the couch, I had to go back to the instructions and realize now I have to disassemble my couch so I can put my couch back together the right way. The thing is, we don't like to be told what to do. But in this manner, there is absolutely nothing we can do on our own to earn our salvation. We have to follow the instructions that God has given us. And we try to do it on our own. We try to earn it. We try to be good people. And we say to, hey, I've been a really good person. That's why God's gonna let me into heaven. I've been really nice. And you know, I've given some money to the church and I, I, I've just done good things. That's not what God asks you to do. That's like, that's like putting the cushions on backwards. It's like putting, putting the couch together upside down. Like, I didn't ask you to do that. That's not part of the instructions. The instructions are for you to admit that you can't do it on your own and to put your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ alone. All of me for all of him. When it comes to Jesus, that phrase I got it goes out the window because Jesus is the only one who gets to say, I got it. He's the only one that gets to say, I got it. I'll take it for you. I'll take the penalty of your sin. I'll take the dirtiness. I'll take the addiction. I'll take the struggle. I'll take the achievements that you think you have on my back. I've got this. So the question is, what are you holding on to? What sentence in your story gives more credit to school 
or to church or to knowledge or to family or understanding or power position than it does to Jesus. If Jesus is not the hero and savior in your story, then it might be time to rewrite your story. The reality is when we look at verses seven and eight, it says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Here's the reality. I grew up, I grew up in a good family. I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor. My mom played piano or was teaching Sunday school. We never missed church because my parents were both there and had, had roles on Sunday mornings. And so we went to church every single week. If we uh, were able to go to Christian school, we went to Christian school. And when we moved and we were no longer able, we started doing catechism and things at home with our parents. We did devotions around every dinner table and at every nighttime. We were raised in a Christian home. And when I w- uh, grew up into high school, I started playing on the worship team. And then as I was a high school, I started, I, I started a Christian club in my public school. And so I did that for three years. And then I went, uh, as I was going to three different youth groups as a, as a teenager, and then I went off to college and got a degree in theology. And then I went on and get my master's degree. The funny thing is I can say all those things and re- it's just garbage if I don't know Jesus Christ. The background does not matter. The resume can be, can be burned up. If the reality of my story isn't that Jesus saved me at a dirty summer camp when a speaker called out my sin and I actually realized it. He called out my sin and for, for the first time, I, I brought friends along with me to camp and I thought, oh, camp's for them. I'm already saved. But it was in that moment that I realized, no, I've been relying on my parents. I've been relying on me being a good kid. I've been relying on so many other things, but I'm not relying on Jesus. And it was in that moment that I realized the sinful heart that I had, but Jesus stepped in and paid for all of it. Jesus stepped in and restored me to life. Jesus gave me a new life. When Jesus steps in and says, the chains are broken, There isn't one foot in, one foot out. It's not holding on to the old self. It's not holding on to the old addiction. It's not holding on to the pride of where I grew up and how I grew up. It's the, these things are now loss because I know Jesus. And the story is about Jesus in my life, not my my life on top of Jesus. I'm thankful for what God has taught me in my past I'm thankful for my Christian parents. I'm thankful for how I was brought up. But they are not the center to the story. Knowing Jesus is the center of the story. And here's the advantage that we have over Paul, because I know that many of us have not had this miraculous encounter where Jesus strikes us with blindness and calls out to us in an audible voice. But where we have an advantage over Paul is that we have God's full word here. And that we can see the truth of the gospel played out over years and years and years. And that Jesus is the main character of this story, that he is the rescuer and that he has come to save us from our sins. We have a clear picture of the gospel that we can clearly see and read and respond to. And we have the saints that have gone before us as an example. 
we get to see Paul's story. We get to hear his truth and look back and say, wow, look what God has done. Therefore, we can take advantage of these things and teach our children and grandchildren and ourselves because knowing Jesus intimately and personally is the goal. I'll be, I'll be honest, I want my kids to know scripture. I want them to memorize it. I want them to know worship songs. I want them to pray and sing. And, but if they don't know Jesus, if they don't know Jesus, if they can't run to him in their time of need, then I haven't taught them the most important thing. I haven't passed them the one thing that really matters. I haven't given them the truth of salvation. Jesus Christ and knowing him is salvation. Baptism does not save. Communion does not save. Confirmation does not save. Catechism does not save. Circumcision does not save. Knowledge does not save. Tithe does not save. Power does not save. Position does not save. Number of years you have sat in this church does not save you. Jesus Christ alone saves. He is the only one. And as we close, I want us to know it's by his grace alone, through faith alone, that we come into a saving relationship with Jesus. It's trusting in Jesus. And I believe that there's something that takes place in that moment that God does uniquely. I believe that he allows us in those moments to just fully release of ourselves. Honestly, just to have an encounter with God is just to, is to recognize I'm at the end of my rope. I can't take it any further. I have to have Jesus take me the rest of the way. He's the only one that's gonna take me home. And guess what? At the end of my rope, I am ready to let go of anything else I'm holding on to. I'm saying, Jesus, I need, I, need to, I need to switch over. I need to let go of my past into a brand new life with you, Jesus, so that I'm not caught half in and half out, so that I'm not trying to always bring along with me the things that I love from this world and the flesh. Paul starts off by saying, don't, don't let the flesh drag you down. This is about knowing Jesus. And then I want to go back to the beginning. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. He starts off chapter four in the same way. Rejoice, and again, I will say rejoice. Because he's like the one place that you are gonna find joy is in the satisfaction of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Don't rejoice in your accomplishments. Don't rejoice in the things of this world. Rejoice in the Lord. Make Jesus the main thing so that no, nothing else, no one else might possibly take credit for your joy. Allow yourself to be joyful in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.